morning, everybody. How we doing? Let's, uh, let's thank our O-Kids team for just leading us in that moment. And what an awesome... What an awesome thing to get the gift of God's word. Could you imagine a better gift? Like, where would we be without God's word? Such an amazing gift God's given us to reveal himself to us. May we, just like these second graders, come like little children today, hungry for his word, that uh, it would be implanted in us, that he would guide and direct us, that he would show us more of the fullness of who he is through his word. What a gift it is that we have this, this today. And I, I love uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. You may have heard this verse. It just says, uh, All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and correcting and rebuking and training in righteousness. And then it says this, So that, ev- so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that is, that is one of the reasons we come and experience God's word together is that we would be equipped to do his work in the world. To, we'd be equipped and trained up as we go out to know how to live and how to follow Jesus uh, and more completely. Isn't that awesome? So we're going to have you stand up today for the reading of God's word. We're going to read Matthew 6 just out of reverence. Let's stand together. Matthew 6, 19 through 34. This is out of the Sermon on the Mount. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add one single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed Like one of these, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom 
and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of God for us today. Let's, uh, let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. It is uh, life-giving. It is life-restoring. And I pray just for a heart of tenderness and teachability today as we hear your word. God, would you minister to us through your word? Do the work you want to do in us, in our hearts today. And we praise you for this time we get together, and uh, we give you all the glory for what you want to do. May the meditations of my heart and the, are my thoughts just be pleasing to you, God, today. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. What if I told you there was something in the Bible the Bible talks about more than anything else? More than prayer, more than salvation, more than heaven, more than hell. Actually, there's, there's over 2,000 verses on this one thing. And if you, if you count up all the verses on prayer, there's only 500. In, in fact, also Jesus, when he taught, they, they counted up all that, that he taught, and 15% of what he taught was on this one thing. I think after the passage we read, you probably know what that is. It's money and possessions. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Some of, you, some of you are already cringing. You're like, oh, man, we're talking, the church is talking about money. Great. Not again. I love what Tim Keller said. He said, if, if I preached on money as much as Jesus did, I would not have a church. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of think of, Talking about money is kind of like going to the gym and doing legs. Does anyone like leg day? This is, this is like leg day. You know, leg day is, it's the, I should just have you get up and do some squats or something. Because leg day is like one of the hardest, but it's one of the most important. And I, I think as, as we get to this teaching on money, it is like leg day. This is the foundation. Jesus is saying this is important stuff to think about, to wrestle with. So welcome to leg day. In his most famous sermon recorded, Jesus brings this topic to light, and, and that was quite a long passage about it. And what we're talking about, if you've missed the last, uh, the last few weeks this fall, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, the essential teaching of Jesus, the, the most famous sermon ever recorded that Jesus gave. And it's all about bringing our life under the rule and reign of the King of Kings, of, of Jesus, of the kingdom of heaven. What does life look like when we submit to God's kingdom and we don't live attached to this worldly kingdom? What does life look like? And so Jesus gives us some principles here about money and possessions. We're going we're gonna to walk through them. Um, first, he gives us some investment advice. He gives us investment advice, and then he gives us a warning about the power of money, and then lastly, a strong word about priorities. So that's where we're headed today. Investment advice. Jesus, a first century rabbi who didn't have any money, any credit. It was before the stock market. How could this guy give us any investment advice? 
I mean, I think you could go to Wall Street Journal or Forbes or something like that if you wanted real investment advice. But Jesus does. He, he is giving us investment advice. He's saying, don't invest here, invest here, right? That's what's happening. And, and what is he saying? What, what, is, what is the truth? What is the timeless truth that Jesus is getting across? I think he's saying this. There is a powerful relationship between your spiritual life and your money and your possessions. There's a powerful relationship. Randy Alcorn said this, God sees our finances and our faith as inseparable. That's, that's kind of confusing. What does that mean? Jesus said it, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Isn't that an interesting phrasing? Where your treasure is, what you treasure, what you really value, that's where your heart's going to be. Where you put your treasure, that's where your heart is going to be. Do I believe that? When I look at how I spend my time, my energy, my resources, my wealth, is that, I look at that picture, just think about all those things for a minute. Is that where my heart is? Jesus is saying, that's it. That's where your heart is. Where is your treasure? First Timothy uh, gives us a little thought on the treasures of heaven. I wanted to read this. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. We are those who are rich in this present world. He's speaking right to us. So don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I love that, that take hold of the life that is truly life. This is what Jesus is talking about. He wants you to have abundant, real life. And he's saying, if you invest in this area, in the world, in the wealth of the world, that is not where life is found. It is found by investing in something totally different, the kingdom of God. How do we do that? What does that look like? What is storing up treasures in heaven? What is that? It's right there. Do good, be rich in good deeds, be generous, be willing to share. I like what one pastor said. He said this, it's the compassionate use of your material resources to meet the physical and spiritual needs of others. The compassionate use. Jesus was so full of compassion all the time. That word co-passion, co-suffering. That is, that is the way to life, and, and it's so hard for us to believe that, that when I suffer for somebody else and I am generous and I sacrifice for somebody else to, to bring, to, give that, to, to provide for their physical and spiritual needs, that is treasures in heaven. And there's so many examples of this, isn't there? In our, in our church, I think, I was just with the kids uh, ministry team this morning, and just the, they're laying up treasures in heaven. They're sacrificing their resources, their time, their energy to come early, to be with these kids, to, to teach them about God's word. I think of our Amore team last year. We had about 50 people go down and build houses um, down in Mexico, and 
the treasures in heaven that, that were stored up, the richness of life that we were able to experience as we sacrificed not only our resources, but our vacation time and, and all that. And it was so worth it. And I just think of, um, I think of yesterday, even a hundred or so people gathering to serve the city and, and spend their Saturday morning just blessing the city and blessing these organizations that we partner with around Santa Barbara. Those are treasures in heaven, giving sacrificially. And I know there's individuals in here that maybe you've had an experience where someone sacrificed for you or you're, you were able to sacrifice for someone else in need. Treasures in heaven. Jesus is saying that's where we need to invest. That's it. That is the place. Then Jesus gives us a warning about the power of money. We need this warning. Listen to this. Jesus doesn't say it's wrong to have treasures. He says it's wrong to store up treasures, amassing them for, your, for yourself, that is not the way to life. And then he gives us this illustration, right? He gives us an illustration about the eye. And if your eye is good and it can take in light, then your body is going to be able to move, right? If I can see, then I can walk around. And if I can't see, then I'm blind and I'm going to run into things and it, it's not going to be healthy. What, is, what does that have to do with money and possessions? You think about that? What does that have to do with money, the eye and the body? this illustration. In the ancient world, the, the evil eye, you could think of the Sauron eye, the evil eye, that was a, 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 also a term for stinginess, for being stingy. A good eye was a term for being generous. And so I think Jesus is saying here, when, when we're stingy, when we love money so much and, and we get stingy with our money, we get deceived. We can't see. We are blinded by money. I told you it's going to be leg day. Here it comes. Leg day. You are blind when we love money. It's, it's deceptive. It impacts how we see the world. And I think Jesus is saying, if you don't think money doesn't have a hold on your heart, think again. It's so deceptive. No one thinks they're materialistic, do they, or greedy. I mean, if you were going to share with your neighbor, maybe, right now, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, how materialistic are you? I, I think most people would give themselves less than a 5 in here. It's just, we, we just don't think we are. And I, you want, I wonder why. Like, it's because we're always brushing up against people who make 2 or 3 or 10 or 20 more times than us. So, especially in Santa Barbara, you never really feel rich, right? You never really feel rich, and, and we, yet we know we are one of the richest cities and one of the richest nations in the entire world. We know that in our head, but we just don't feel it. It's because money is deceptive. The power of money, and Jesus is warning us about this. So how do we break that power? How do we break that power that we, we feel grab us sometimes. Early in our marriage, um, Aaron and I, we had, a, we had something called the $50 rule. I don't know if anyone else had this in marriage, but we, we created a rule because we were so broke going through grad school that $50 was the limit of what I could spend on my own without talking to her, without, without some consent. Like, hey, can, we, can I buy this $100 thing? You know, so we would have this rule where we would just make sure I, I'd call her 
and, and ask her about that and talk through it. And uh, I think there, there's something I was thinking about, just how do we break the power of money on, in us? And part of it is, do we consult God in our spending? Do we ask God, like, God, is this something I should spend your money on? Is this something that, I, I know I'm, I'm your child, everything I have is yours. Is this something you would want me to buy? You would want me to invest in? I think the main question we ask when we see something we want, it's what? How much is it? Can I afford it? It's not, do I need it? And I think one of the ways we break the power of money is by inviting God into that conversation. God, if I'm going to spend X amount on a new this, a new that, is this what you'd want me to spend your money on? I think it's really sobering to think that we just can't evaluate ourselves. It's so deceptive. And so another way to break this power is to, to share it with someone else, is to invite someone else into your finances. Who, who in your life have you invited into your finances to look at how, how are you giving? Is there a Christian friend that you could say, hey, I want to be generous, and here's, here's how I'm doing life. What do you think? Let's talk about this. Let's wrestle with this together. I'm really challenged by this book. It's called God and Money. And it's a book, I don't know if anyone's read it in here, but uh, it's a book of two Harvard Business School students, and they are on the fast track to making millions of dollars, and they know it, and yet they are followers of Jesus. And so they get together, and they study all the scripture, all the scripture references, the over 2,000 references to money, and they, and they compile some principles that they want to live by. And then they create a plan. This is how we're going to live and they said the biggest shift in their thinking was, asking, was, was from asking the question, how much should I give, to how much do I need to keep? From how much should I give to how much do I need to keep? What a radical question that is. And this is, this is their journey of what happened and what God did and how God has, has blessed them monetarily, but also helped them give up to 60, 70, 80% of their income away. What a, what a powerful story. How much do we need to keep? I mean, it'd be so much easier if Jesus just said, you know, this is the number. This is what you're supposed to give exactly this. Like, just give 10%. Just give 20%. And I could just like check it off my list and not think about it. Randy Alcorn calls the 10% tithe the training wheels of giving. That was interesting. The starting place. That sounds impossible for some of us. I mean, to get to 10%, that's a, that's a big jump maybe from where I am. And Jesus warns us, I think, I, I think why he doesn't do that. He doesn't make it so explicit like that because he wants us to wrestle with it. You know, the name for God's people, it's Israel wrestles with God. This is something we need to keep wrestling with, keep talking about, keep processing. As I make more money, which, which happens over your lifetime typically up to a certain point, how am I going to deal with this, God? How am I going to follow you with my resources, with my treasures? He wants us to wrestle with it. 
One of the wealthiest men in history, John Rockefeller, died. And when he died, his accountant was asked, how much did he leave? And the accountant, his reply was classic, all of it. Russ knew the answer. (laughs) All of it. You know, maybe we need to read some more obituaries and visit the cemetery a little more to remind us of how short this life is, that amassing things and, and collecting things and getting to the next new thing is not where life is found. And so the last, last point here, Jesus gave us a, a strong word about priorities. No one can serve two masters. No one. It's impossible. You cannot serve both God and money. It's leg day. You ready for leg day? Jesus doesn't mince words here. He says, it's impossible to serve me and to serve money. How do I know if I'm serving money? What does that even look like? Most of us would say, I don't serve, I don't serve money. I don't. What occupies most of my thoughts, most of my time, most of my energy? Am I in a constant state of worry about my needs, about my net worth? When I see the stock market red or green, do I freak out? Do I get nervous? You cannot serve both God and money. That, that word in the Greek is, is kind of, it's, it needs a little explaining because it's really the word mammon. It's not a word that any of us use, mammon, which meant wealth in the ancient days, in the first century. And, and William Barclay, this commentator, he said, you know, that word mammon, it started out as I'm entrusting my mammon to someone to save and kind of like a bank. I'm entrusting my wealth to someone. And then soon it became, actually, I trust in my mammon. It became became a word that people trusted in their wealth. And then mammon became actually like a personified God. I actually trust in capital M, mammon. And so Jesus, I think to the first century readers, they would hear that like, oh, mammon, the God of wealth. And isn't, isn't that what we see in our culture? Is, is wealth not the God of our culture? You just, you just take a look around. People are obsessed with getting the latest, greatest gadgets, cars, appliances, homes, the undying commitment to, to working more and more without any thought to Sabbath or rest. It is the most powerful current in our culture. And it should give us pause. It should make us think today and wrestle a little bit. Like, where am I in this current? Where am I in this current? I know I feel that pull, just being in this city, being in this nation. It's strong. Getting in the trap of thinking about that next thing you want to purchase or the next trip or thinking about the next upgrade you need. And I think that's why it's so important to come back here together. It's so important to be in a rhythm where we're we're together reminding each other that mammon is not God. 
because all week long we're getting that message. And so when we come back here, when we come to our life group, when we come to, to pray together, we remind each other, wealth is not God. God is so much better, so much more faithful, so much more reliable than wealth. We need those rhythms. Isn't wealth just so fickle? Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Wealth is so fickle. I don't know if you caught the story on Friday, but a guy, one of the richest men in the world, went from $8 billion net worth to $0 in one day. Wealth is fickle. And Jesus, here's the good news. Here's what I want you to hear today. Jesus invites us into a life of more trust and less worry. And that's what the rest of that passage, you see, he just says, therefore, you don't have to worry. If I'm your master, you do not have to worry. He invites us into a life of less worry, of more joy, of more generosity, of less selfishness, of more freedom, and less bondage. And I think it is a journey. It's not, this is not a one time I decided what I'm going to do. This is a every day, I got I to gotta, gotta wrestle, I got to put my idols down again today, God. Wealth is, is getting a grip on me. I need to talk about it. I need to process it. So these guys in God and Money, they got together, and uh, in this book, they, they went through, Harvard guys, they're super-duper smart, so I, I trust what they have to say a little bit, you know. They got together, and they, they, they compiled these 2,000 verses into seven principles. And I want to just close with these seven principles. And I'm going to read them. I know it's kind of small on the screen. Maybe you can't totally see them, but I'm going to read them out loud, and Maybe just which one of these is God maybe turning up the volume, we like to say in here. Which one of these would, is God kind of pressing in on you, saying, hey, you need to think about this a little bit more. You know, God wants us to have life to the full, and he invites us into that. And part of that is wrestling with our money and possession. So here are the principles. Everything we own actually belongs to God. Everything. Our wealth and possessions should be used for God's purposes. Wealth is like dynamite with great potential for both good and harm. Worldly wealth is fleeting. Heavenly treasure is eternal. Giving generously to the poor is a moral duty in a fallen world. Giving should be voluntary, generous, sacrificial, cheerful, and needs-based. And lastly, giving generously breaks the power of money over us. Let's just sit with these for a minute. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. Where's God turning up the volume for you? as you think about your journey with money and possessions.
invite you to just close your eyes for a moment and Let's be reminded of the beauty and treasure that God is. He is our ultimate treasure. And God, we hear you that we cannot serve two masters, that our heart is not big enough. It doesn't have the capacity to serve two gods. And God, we want to just say, we, we want to serve you. God, everything we have is yours. Teach us to be stewards of what you've given us. And we do, we thank you for the resources and the, the amazing wealth you have given us here. And we pray, we know it's a huge responsibility. And we pray for your spirit of wisdom to help us, help us know how to use it wisely. Help us know how to use it for your kingdom. Help us know how to use it to bring your kingdom here to earth. Maybe just put your hand on your heart. Where is your treasure? God, do a deep work in us, Lord. Free us from the power of money and wealth. God, bring your freedom. Just in your own words to God today, just tell him how you're feeling about this teaching, how you're feeling about his word to you today. Thank you for inviting us into life abundantly with you. God, may we store up riches in heaven. That is what we want to be about here. We praise you and thank you in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to worship. If you, uh, the prayer team is going to come down on the sides here. If there's something you want to pray about or you want to confess or you want to just rejoice, Whatever it is, we'd love to pray for you, and we're going to spend a few minutes just worshiping. Let's, be, let's remind each other through our voices that God is the living God. He is the real God. Let's proclaim him and worship him today.